podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, Kulays. Welcome to Barca Talk. I'm your host, Gabriel Quiroga, here in the Spanish capital. On today's episode, we have Craig McGuff as we discuss the dominance in the Bernabeu last night in the Clasico as Barca won 4 nothing. What can you say about last night's performance? I mean, I was completely surprised, but obviously surprised in an amazing way. The dominance with which Barca played last night, and I mean, it could have been worse, right? It could have been six or seven. But again, just the baliza that Barcelona gave to Madrid last night was something to behold. We actually made tactical adjustments, and we played more vertical, and we took advantage of our counters, which is amazing. Craig and I discussed just about the unpredictability that this team is bringing on both the left and right side and how that's really difficult to scout now. And again, you know, it goes to Messi leaving this summer to help develop these young players and understanding that it's a team and it's not just by one player. So again, last night was just awe-inspiring of a performance, especially by the front three, the link-up, the connection, the passing, uh, the verticality. I mean, they made Cortal look average last night. And Cortal made some really great saves as well. And it could, like I said, it could have been worse. I wanted it to be worse. I wanted six. I wanted seven. Anyway, Craig and I discuss all those things. And Craig had a really great point last night. He said, if Barcelona win the Europa League, if Barcelona get second place in La Liga, and we are seeing the type of performances that we're seeing in the last couple of weeks, or would this be considered the best Barca season in the last 30 years? I would agree. Even though there's not the elite trophies of the triplete, I just think of where we started in September with Koeman, with Messi leaving. Are we going to qualify for Champions League? You know, there was a point where we were in 10th place in La Liga or worse, you know, and now we are clipping the heels of Sofia to get into second place, which is remarkable. But again, the style of play, the way we are performing and competing and fighting is just something to really see. I mean, just look at how the subs came in last night and immediately made an impact of pressing, making sure that Madrid had no chance of a comeback. I mean, just think about how many times Adama ran back on defense. I mean, Vinicius would look up and all of a sudden there was Adama on his back. So again, Craig and I discuss the match more in depth, but again, I'm you know, it's Monday morning here, and I'm just, you know, I went to sleep with a smile on my face and just listening already to some of the podcasts. And obviously, I watched Cheating Gito last night. And, you know, I love, I love, love, love when Madrid loses like this because then Madrid fans have no excuse. They were at home, they are league leaders. You have to play better than that. Anyway, we talk more into that. Before we get into our analysis last night with Craig, want to let you know about Surfshark. This episode is brought to you by Surfshark. Does this sound familiar? This video is not available in your location. As you know, this completely drives me mad. As an American living abroad here, this happens to me all the time. Well, before I had Surfshark, uh, when I was trying to watch NFL, NBA, Saturday Night Live, 90 Day Fiance, the list goes on and on, right? I still love to be in touch with my American culture, pop culture, and sports, and it made it difficult. But now with Surfshark, super easy. As I told you before, my guiltiest pleasure right now recently was Nine Day Fiance. Uh, just what a what a fiasco that show is. Just 
<laughs> just the way people communicate with their mobile phones and oh my god it's it's incredible but basically the show is only available in the u.s before surfshark i tried several ways to get episodes but to no avail I have been test driving Surfshark, like I said now, for about a month or so, and it just, it's flawless. The way it integrates to my Google Chrome, how I'm able to switch locations so easy, and more importantly, it just works. You know, that is the one thing with technology as a techie person, uh, when I'm trying to do these type of extensions and different websites, when something just works, it's awesome. And Surfshark works flawlessly. Not only does it work flawlessly, but the registration process is super easy. Not only have I registered on my Google Chrome, but I also have it on my Fire Stick, and that works just as well. With the Fire Stick, it's pretty incredible because obviously you have more diversity of apps, and obviously I want to watch it on my TV. But man, Surfshark works flawlessly on my Fire Stick, able to watch 90 Day Fiance, as I told you. I, it's you know it's very embarrassing to admit that, but it's it, it, 90 Day, man, it's it's crazy. Not only is the process to register super easy, not only does it work really easy, but there are some other benefits of having a quality VPN. A VPN doesn't only increase online privacy, it helps you avoid hackers. It also helps you access entertainment because the content you see is limited by your geographic location. But if you use a VPN, you can change your virtual location and forget about restrictions and censorship. Can't find what to watch on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, or other streaming platforms? unlock new libraries with a VPN. Can't watch a YouTube video? Connect to a different location with a VPN. Can't access certain websites or apps through school or office networks? Try a VPN. So try Surfshark risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals/barsa. Enter promo code BARSA for 83% off and three extra months free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That's surfshark.deals slash Barca. The link is in the show notes and get to surfing. After this quick break, Craig and I break down the utter dominance of Barca at the Bernabeu last night. Not bad. Not bad tonight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've had worse in the, uh, in the last three years. <laughs> I have to honestly say this was the most unexpected result I was looking at, but also I'm, I can't believe, remember the last time I've been so optimistic going forward. Now I know I've been kind of the last person, you know, uh, recently on the podcast being a firm believer as Troy in our group asked, do I believe? And I'm, I'm, I'm officially on now. I'm officially 100% on. Yeah. I was just, you know, for me, I was always very cautious, right? Because I, I just saw that there were still, deficiencies in our defense and I thought that was going to you know hold us back but we're going to talk about that tonight but I'm I'm officially on and also just I mean chubby man just getting everything right dialing it up and just tactically just finally we we did things tonight that I was very excited about what, what about you how I know we're recording this right after so I mean we're kind of in this uh haze of of blissfulness right now yeah I mean for me I was on the chubby bus irrespective of where it was heading like i was buying a one-way ticket and i was going but this is this is probably the the marker that says to me okay i, I believed in chavi i now believe in this chavi team i don't think we need a massive summer whereas i had my questions around is this season just about damage limitation do we just mm. try and get champions League qualification from somewhere and give him a summer and i think it's just absolutely blown out of the water like i know for our long-time patrons or listeners, they're probably going to hear me say 
this and roll their eyes and say, oh, here he goes again. But to me, the feeling was it was like the 6-2 game where it was domination. We were we were just a completely different team. And I was optimistic going in, but I didn't see that result coming. And we've just absolutely battered them. Like that wasn't, that was a kind 4-0 if you're a Madrid fan. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I think it starts with, I mean, obviously with the news, Benzema was not going to be in the match. <laughs> Uh, your favorite player of all time. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but I th- obviously, you know, I think that obviously had a big uh, yeah. to do with this match because, you know, with this lineup, you know, I think having a Rahu play at the right wing for tonight's match and bottling Vinicius, I mean, that to me, uh, I was really excited for that when the lineup came out because I think Rahu has the best mixture of speed, physicality. Uh, to bottle Vinicius, and that's what he did tonight. And he frustrated Vinicius. And I think that, to me, is the biggest change that we saw in the first Classico, right? In the first Classico, Mm. because Benzema was in the middle, he was drawing our defenders there, and Vinicius had a lot of opportunities on the wing. But, man, how many times tonight did Vinicius try to do the bicicleta or try to maneuver Araujo? Mm -hmm. Araujo just was not taking that. It's crazy. Like I, I was speaking to a so Ian, who I work with, really good guy, knows his football well. I was speaking to him last week about Barca and he said, you guys look like you're improving. And we got on to Araujo and he said, what do you think of him? And, and I said this sentence, right? And then when I said it, I thought, oof, have I gone a bit farther? And I said, by the time he finishes, Araujo will be seen as elite and he'll be an all-timer for Barca. And then I said it and I was like, mm, maybe, I'm, maybe I've got a bit excited there. Performances like that, like, I hope this doesn't go under the radar. That kid is not a fullback. And he's just, he's just given a, I mean, I've seen a rating. It was like 8, 8.8 out of 10 or something, which I think is unfair. Like he's given for me a 10 out of 10 performance in a, in a position that's unfamiliar to him in the biggest game of the season away from home. Like he's incredible. And yeah, you're right. I, I worry about Vinicius. I think he's a good player. He's got a lot of qualities that I think are very admirable. And he looked average tonight. And I think that entire defense tonight played incredible. Like, Eric Garcia has had a rough... I know I'm completely changing the subject from where we were, where we started, and I apologise for that. But if you look across that entire back line, right, let, let's break it apart a little bit. Testegen, what's his feedback been recently? Not getting down to shorts. Looks like he's not concentrating. Why doesn't he come for crosses? His distribution has been terrible compared to where it was, right? Well, he's none of them tonight. Eric Garcia, oh, he's too soft. Doesn't do much. Doesn't cover well. Not fast enough. Right, well, that's gone. Gerard Piquet, does he care? Should he have retired? Is he the commanding leader that we need? Well, yeah, he was tonight. Araujo, just um, incredible. Jordi Alba, for me especially. Too slow, boring, dynamic. Should have given up a little while ago. Let's replace him. I mean, that may be the case. But tonight, at least, incredible. Like, faultless. A, a literal faultless performance from that back five tonight. I think it's a great point because with Eric Garcia too, I was in the same you know the same camp with you. Uh, I thought that you know before the last couple matches, uh, before Galatasaray and so forth, I thought Eric Garcia was the wrong choice. I really wanted Arahu to be the pairing with PK, but again, obviously Chavi knowing better on this, and also just Eric Garcia just having more confidence. You can see mm-hmm. he was able to muscle a little bit better. He didn't feel. Like, sometimes I feel like he's on ice skates back there, especially when he is uh, on the counters, you know, on defense. And tonight he was able to hone that in. And like you said, him with PK. And also, I just think, obviously, not having Benzema to distract them through the middle. I think they could just hyper-focus on Nicias. And then all of a sudden, you know, Madrid really didn't have any other options. Obviously, Rodrigo was starting. But again, he's still, to me, I, you know, I've, I've... 
I considered him like an 80 minute type of player comes in the 80th mm-hmm. minute to try to give you something, not a, yeah. a full 90. Right. Especially yeah. at this level. I think it, maybe in another team, he could be a full 90, but you know, for Madrid, I don't think so. So I think that's a good place to start the defense. You know, as we've been talking, I thought was always going to be holding this team back. And, you know, ever since the Atletico match, it's been improving more shutouts. Obviously we talked about Ter Stegen in our, in our Patreon group. We did a video compilation of, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on, but most recently, right. That's all we can really say in the last three matches. He's definitely shown improvement, showing lights and flashes of what he's doing, better distribution and so forth. So, wow. I mean, that's to start with the defense, right. But again, uh, Craig, I mean, Aubameyang, uh, what I mean, <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to eat some crow here because I was not a fan of this signing. I just didn't think he was going to bring value or enough value to Barca, and I'm completely wrong. And I'm glad I'm wrong because he is on a scoring streak that I can't remember. Non Messi, right? Non Messi yeah. type of player, and also the connection that he's showing with Ferran is something that is really exciting. I mean, they should have scored a couple more goals today, but. The way that they're finding each other through the holes, through the gaps, with through balls, it's more vertical than what we've been seeing. And I think that is obviously the bonus that we're seeing. Obviously, with Galatasaray, last couple matches with Ferran, I mean, he, he had a, a, a sitter there that he should have done better, but he did eventually score. I mean, Aubameyang, big surprise for me. What about you? Yeah, 100%. Like, it's bizarre, right? Because... Despite the fact that I live in the UK, I don't watch a huge amount of English football, if I'm honest. I find it a little bit dull and, and very overhyped. So I don't watch a huge amount, but I, I you know, it, by osmosis, you hear a lot and you read a lot. And so when Aubameyang signed, I had lots of negative connotations from people around me saying, oh, he's lazy and he just doesn't, he just doesn't look like he's not interested half the time. And I thought, oh, here we go. It's a bit of a payday. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens for him. And then the more came out, I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, I'll at least give him a chance. And, I, and I've been watching him over the last few weeks, and I think that was the reason that this fellow was talked about highly, and I can start to see it. And tonight was just an exceptional. How can I word this? Are you aware of that? This is a this is a wild tangent, but we'll go with it. Are you aware of the band's status quo? Do they do they travel well over the pond? They do not. But tell me more. St- I'll, I'll go. Status, I'll ride status, with you. Ride with me. Anyone that knows the quo will, will will be on board with this. Anyone who doesn't will think, he go, he, here he goes again. But status quo, this band, right? 70s, 80s stadium rock band out of the UK that wore, wore like cut-off denim, mullets, three chords. And so basically, they could do three-chord stadium rock, and it was basically the same song for about seven albums. So people love them while they're doing that. The minute they try and branch off in like a ballad, everyone hates them. That's what I think we've got with Aubameyang, right? But I also think that's what we've got with Ferran. But they've got distinct qualities that work. So I can see why Aubameyang failed at Arsenal. I can see it. I can see how Ferran might fail in this squad. I had a little peek at some of the Patreon questions, and this might help answer one of them. I can see how Ferran could fail and succeed in the squad because it seems like they just do such a narrow brief really well, and them two together seem to make this like one complete super striker. And that's the best way I can describe it. It's like status. It's like having two versions of status quo on the pitch. One of them's playing these three chord stadium rock bangers that where every song is the same, but it's a banger. And you've got this other guy over in the corner with his, his acoustic guitar being a Bob Dylan ripoff. But you listen to it for a while, and then you put them together, and it's like a festival. That's how I can describe it. And I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's how I see it in my head. I like it. I like it. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I you know, especially with the super striker, I think that is the key, right? Because Again, with this formation, with the two wings and the striker up the middle, we've been having a hard time trying to replace 
prime Suarez with Messi trying to find that rhythm and space, right? And I think yeah. we have found the mix. And I think more importantly, the hierarchy. We've got a question here about that, you know, about the hierarchy of, of strikers. I think going forward, this should be the starting strikers. Debele, uh, Ferran, and Aubameyang, and then come in with Adama, come in with Memphis. And Nicholas in our Patreon group has a question for that. He just, you know, obviously talking about the hierarchy. Where do you find Memphis? Do you find a spot for Memphis or do you just bring him on for the 15 minutes to kind of close out the match? I think that's a better role for him because of just how good Aubameyang is playing right now. And it's, you know, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'll I'll expand a bit on the nonsense that I've just spouted, which might help actually, which is I think Ferran Ferran is amazing at kind of breaking the lines and running into gaps. And then he gets there and he doesn't quite know what to do with it. Aubameyang is amazing. Uh, sniffing out a chance and generally getting it on target. I'm not going to say scoring all the time, but he, he, he's he's always there. He's always in and around the box. And that's why I think together you've got the super striker. Memphis does both, but I'm not sure how well he does both. So I think for me, if both Aubameyang and Ferran are fit, I play them both ahead of Memphis because you get the parts of Memphis better. The minute you have one of them drop, I think Memphis looks a better option because he can do both and one of them's only doing one. The Dembele point, get Dembele out of my club. Tonight doesn't change anything I've seen. Get him out of the club. I, I, I'm not going to reverse my opinion on him. He did, he did all right tonight for 60 minutes. In fact, that's harsh. He did really well tonight for 60 minutes and then he faded and he became a bit of a... I know, I've always been a bit of a liability towards the end, actually. I would have brought Adama on maybe 15 minutes earlier and than, than Xavi did. I thought Dembele looked really slow towards the end. And the minute you lose the pace, you basically lose a player. So get, get Dembele away. Unless he does a complete 360 and learns to play for 90 minutes at that pace, he's not worth it. So my hierarchy would be... Ferran, Abamyang, and Adama. That's who I would I mean, have. Eh. Yeah, I mean, I I think with Adama and Dembele, you're 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 fine. But I think it's clear it's Ferran and Abamyang at the at the, on the on the left and up the middle. I think that's clear. I think each player gives you differences, you know. And I think it ties match the way Xavi, you know, used the substitutions the way you did it. Because the other thing too is like, how many times did Dembele lose the ball in the middle of the park? Oh, just don't. <laughs> I'm having a a good night. Don't make it worse. Yeah, but you're right though, and and here's one just to throw back at you. Let's change dynamic completely. As soon as as soon as Ansu Fati's fit, that front three picks itself irrespective, right? The question's almost redundant. One he's back. It's a great question, but it's almost redundant. And and I think that's where we are with Dembele and Adama, which is Ansu Fati coming back just puts them both out of a job. And I think really you're, you're then looking at. Does Ferran play well enough that we can play a front three, or does Ferran start to struggle, or Memphis or Aubameyang starts to struggle? And you look at what Memphis can bring. I don't think Memphis is Memphis to me is a four-four-two striker. I don't think he's a four-three-three yeah. striker. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think because also just you know as a four-four-two, he can have a little bit of the left and a little bit of the middle, not just yeah. the middle, right? You can you can kind of see the way he always kind of drifts off to the left because that's what he that's what he favors, and obviously in the formation that he played mm-hmm. before. Uh, quick question here, quick comment too, is also just with uh, Arahu. We need to get him a contract ASAP, as you just talked to 100%. about. Yeah, I, is, defenders do not grow on trees. When you get a world typical, I mean, he's verging on elite level, like you said. You have to pay him. Like these type of players, you cannot just get them on trees. And also, he knows the system, he knows the passing, he knows the culture of Barca. Like, just get this, need to get this contract ASAP. 100%. Last Ara- game. Ara- Ara- sorry, Araujo is infinitely more important for this team for the next two or three years than Haaland is. 
I would agree. I would I would totally agree. This is, you know, I, I this is one of the comments I said you know, before is like Rahu to me is going to lead to more victories than you would at Holland because, yes, Holland's going to score a goal here and there, but our attack is usually strong enough. It's the defense is what's going to limit in the big games 100%. and competitions and so forth. Yeah, for sure. I'm. I mean, Arahu is my favorite defender right now. I love watching him play. He's going to be a future captain. He always yep. speaks to the media. He has all these these things. Let's talk about the midfield. I think, you know, most recently with this formation of Pedri, Frankie de Jong, and Busquets, uh, Tavi unlocked something because now you're getting the best of Frankie. Busquets is not as exposed as before, and Pedri is just bossing it all around. And, I mean, what can you say about Pedri? Again, another just, I mean, this guy is... 20? Like, I keep forgetting how old he is because all these kids are so like the same age. But again, another classico. He for me was one of the. I mean, the passing that he did, the bossing he did, obviously in Galatasaray as well. I mean, what what can you say about this midfield just moving forward? Oof. I mean, it, it, it's where where do you start? And that's from an incredibly good place, which is nice to have. It, you know, Pedri's incredible. Like, I think the real danger that we lose sight of just how good this guy is. He's insane. And I think the way he controls tempo at that age, like to have the IQ is one thing. To be able to pull it off is another thing. And to put them together, incredible. And I think you can see the difference that it's made with Frankie De Jong moving on slightly, having having a midfielder that gets him. I always felt that Kuma never quite got him. I think Val, Valverde was okay with, with De Jong. I think we saw really good flashes. Kuman clearly just didn't get what, what Frankie De Jong brought to the table. I don't know what he thought he was getting, but he wasn't getting what he thought he was getting. Whereas Xavi, I think he clearly knows the demands to put on De Jong. He doesn't get a free ride from Xavi. There was times today where certainly on core commentary, they were saying Xavi is going mental at De Jong here. But at the same time, you can see the love he gives him. You can see the body language of De Jong. The, you know, the, De Jong to, to Xavi seems like a... Not that he's idolising him. He's, he's not on a pedestal, but you can... How do you argue with Xavi if you're if you're De Jong? And so I think I think that's been an incredible move for him specifically. And I thought he'd done so many things well tonight. And what he's doing is the things that I thought we saw Ajax, which is it's not flashes of brilliance; it's constant eight out of ten. And I completely agree. I think I think just putting more responsibility on him. True, you know, like for example, if he's not playing well, he gets subbed out. And I think maybe he needed to do that just to keep him in check, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in previous matches where De Jong didn't play the full 90. But in this match, like you said, like he was constant, good defensive pressure, driving the counters, doing everything that we wanted to see as an Ajax. Yeah. And most importantly, this is just a basically a chain reaction to Busquets now because now Busquets isn't exposed on counters like he was <laughs> two months ago, which is still crazy to me as we were talking in January and December about Busquets and how... Uh, you know, he needs to see more, you know, of bench time. I still believe that. But at the same time, in the way Chavi's using this midfield and more importantly that we are scoring more goals, it puts less pressure on Busquets to yeah. hold the fort down with I the s- defense. Yeah, I mean, I still think I still think we're definitely papering over a crack with Busquets. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, def- I, I think, you know, and I, I don't know if the plan was to, to get here or not, so I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead, but... I, I still definitely think, despite the fact that we said the defence were great tonight, we're still a left-back and a holding midfielder away from being ultra-competitive, I think. And I think you could see that at times with Busquets tonight. Like, he didn't do anything glaringly wrong, but he still probably could have had three or four yellow cards for just pulling shirts back where he was getting exposed. So I think if we're being hypercritical of this team, 
Busquets is still one where you look at it and think we need to take some action on the summer, but you're not costing us games where we had weeks and months of us saying this is ridiculous. Like we need to put him out of pasture for his own good. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? I mean, again, it's again how important is coaching? You know, it's just getting this level from all the players one point higher just creates yeah. this ability for the whole team now to perform at a higher level and winning more matches, and also just making the matches more enjoyable. I mean, it's not this. I mean, obviously we won the possession match tonight, but at the same time, it was not a possession that didn't have teeth in the attack, as we always like to say, right? So that's the thing. All right, let's get into the sexy talk because this obviously was four goals. So let's get into the goals. What goal do you want to start off with? Because let's start off with your favorite goal of the night and we'll kind of work down that way. Oh, it's a toss up between the last two. Oh, but then we never score from corners. Um, <laughs> let I, I think for me, it goes... Four three two one actually in terms okay. of what I think the best goals were. I thought that the fourth one was incredible. Like yeah. to, to to not stop the little dink over was incredible. Like I thought that was a really 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 good goal actually. The fourth one, the third one, the build up play was amazing. Uh, Ian, I mentioned at the start of the call that I work with, said to me, oh, "I missed the goal. How was it?" And I just replied saying pure caviar because I couldn't think of how else to describe <laughs> it. I thought it's just just beautiful. I thought the 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 uh, the he- really good header, good corner in really good header and I thought the first one I'm not being harsh on the first one uh, good goal Madrid should have defended that a hell of, you'd, you'd, be, yeah. you'd be disappointed if we were on the receiving end of that goal the other three I don't see how you argue with them what about you? Yeah I think the last one because that was the nail in the coffin of the match right for me that, that was kind of like okay there's no comeback that's going to come but also Ferran's stop of the ball and the pass and the layoff of that so but also Aubameyang to continue the play knowing that it might go to VAR, right? Because that's the idea. He could have just stopped, right? Heard the whistle stop, but he did mm-hmm. the... I mean, obviously, you know, I love a chip goal, so that was already on my <laughs> on my, my favorite. But also just the the counterattack of that. I mean, that was Madrid fully pressing, going over the top Barcelona, you know, with a long ball to Ferran. Ferran just laying off perfectly, and that to me was nice. Then I would go the third one was just like, obviously, just the tic-tac-toe so of everything, good. right? So like, good. that is like... Th- that's why we've been so frustrated with the team because we know there's been the talent it's just putting it finally together you know it starts on the right the way they interchange Aubameyang's back heel I mean that is just cheeky right and then obviously Ferran finishing where he just missed a golden opportunity right at the far first or right at the start of the second half where I was just like oh, Ferran just get that goal and then he's able to bounce right back and get that really nice finish what a finish what a finish like you couldn't have I hate this cliche. You couldn't have placed the ball better if you tried. Just an absolute blind river finish. I thought their their link up play was so good. Um, to, yeah, it's and like they've been was... playing together for years. That's what it looks like. The way they're able to to understand the lanes and where to pass. I mean, there was so many opportunities for goals, and I can't remember the last time, especially against Madrid in this type of way, where we made them look average, below average on defense. Like yeah. they didn't know that we were going to counter like that. Every time we got the ball there was a chance of us doing something. It's been a long time since we were there, especially especially there. It's been a long time where I felt like that against a good team. We've had we had spells where like we would come on and do a podcast and we'd just be in <laughs> you know uh, someone awful. And yeah, then we'd yeah. say we look really good and we'd say yeah, but let's see how we go in you know in 2 weeks against Bilbao or whatever. This is the first time where I thought every time we got the ball we looked good. Our transitions were amazing like those last two goals, the speed of transition that we got from them was so... Oh, it was just impressive. But that's 
the midfield were relentless. The defenders were relentless. And it just built up to make it... The amount of space that we were generating for the front three was just incredible. And I'm, and I'm just glad they got the rewards because... Um, it must have, you know, some of these players have been absolutely vilified by the media, by us at times, uh, you know, as fans. And then Xavi comes in and it must, it must have taken a lot of bravery, actually, for some of those players to say, no, no, OK, I'm going to completely change my style of play. Because if it goes wrong, who knows yeah. what would have been said. And those, particularly in, in those uh, those last two goals, particularly in the second half, that must have kind of vindicated everything that they've been doing. Like they've got, they've gone, they've done it on the hardest ground that we're going to go to this season against a team that's running away with the league. Granted, you know, arguably the world's best number nine wasn't there, but that has no bearing on what happened. Well, you know, if, if you if you if you kind of want to break it down a little bit, it does. But that has no bearing on what the front three, certainly the front six, were doing, and they've just smashed them to pieces. And I just think this this could be a real turning point because those goals were quality. They weren't mistakes and we've capitalised. They weren't horrible deflections that have gone in. They weren't Luis Suarez-esque, like it's bounced off 14 chins and he's happened to get the last touch, which he was amazing at. They're goals of real quality against a good team. Yeah, like you said. And also, you know, the first two goals, you know, especially the first one, the cross from Dembele, obviously finding Aubameyang, that was a nice finish. And also, like you said, we never score on corner kicks. Arahu comes in and gets that goal. You know, that was really kind of, I would say, the momentum that the team needed to see just to see the ball in the back of the net. Because yep. for all the effort that they were doing, especially in the first 10 minutes, how it was just back and forth, right? To be able to score first away is always going to give you confidence to go mm -hmm. forward. Then all of a sudden, you have Madrid on their heels. But really, like, I think this is the first time in a long time, like you said, where we've seen actual coaching adaptability going forward and that to me is exciting because as we've been talking in the last couple of weeks especially in our whatsapp group and and in the past barca talk cafes is this mentality of style versus winning style in la liga just advance and, and european nights if we can get this type of adaptation in a madrid game because madrid was not prepared for what we did tonight those are the things that are going to keep other opponents on their heels and obviously give us an advantage because if, if they're starting to see different things on film they're like oh they could do this they can do that that's 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 really you know exciting going forward because then that's going to give us more opportunities to win big matches a hundred percent how how do you how do you set up a team to play against that if you're yeah, yeah. even if you know that's coming because there's quality everywhere and i think the other thing that we've had since the winter break and you look at it tonight is start of the season when things weren't going great you'd look at the bench and it's like oh we could and I was a big fan right and I didn't want us to get rid of him so I'll, I'll happily say I'm a bit of a hypocrite here but you'd look at the bench and you'd think oh let's bring Yusuf Demir on now if you're David Alaba and you see Yusuf Demir coming off the bench you're probably like yeah okay this is this is fine I've got this if you're David Alaba and you're exhausted from 80 minutes of running and you see a Dharma come off you must think oh Jesus just let me get this game done I don't want to do another 15 minutes of this. And I think that's the difference as well, is that we've now got players that can impact the game. You know, we've got Nico that come on that can come on and just kick anything that moves and <laughs> take his yellow card. But you need that. You need yeah, that yeah. player that can come on and just shake things up a bit and be hungry. We've got strikers that can come on and do something. We've even got players that if the shit hit the fan, I don't really like the guy. But okay, if all of a sudden they're, they're cancelling out on the ground... We've now got Luke de Jong on the bench who, as a plan B with players with the quality to find him. We've had him for a little while, but the players that can now find him and, and the space that we can now start to get the ball to him. So if you're if you're Ancelotti on the sideline tonight, you must be looking at it thinking, 
I don't know what to do here. And I think you could see that from him, actually. His body language was a man that was like, I'm just, I'm just being out-thought, and my team has been out-thought. Two very difficult fur and fur sounds for a Brit there, but hope you got yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And more to it, I just think also, you know, like you said, with the players that we have now, I think we're just using the space way better than we ever had because now we used to be so middle-left dominant, you know, yeah. with Messi and so forth. Now, whoever's on the right side, Adama or Dembele, we're crossing, we're using those flanks more than we've ever have. And so, like you said, when a coach is looking at film, it's like you can't just, you know, before you could park the bus middle left and just, you know, take that and give them, give Barca the right side. But now, you know, as you can see, whoever's starting, and like you said, I think that's a great uh, comment you said, because I said the same thing when I was watching the match with my friend here. I said, the last thing you want to see is Adama's elbows in the last 15 minutes coming in against (laughs) you. And how many times did he come in to play defense a couple of times where Vinicius look up and all of a sudden Adama's right in his face. And those are the things by rotation, keeping these players hungry, you're going to get quality performances through the 90 minutes. And and that to me is awesome, you know, because we haven't seen this type of performance, effort, urgency in a long time. And I think that's going a long ways. 100%. Here's a question for you. Without looking, because I know you might have Scout open all the stats or whatever. From the front three... Who had the most touches tonight, would you say? Dembele. That's uh, that's my first impression, but I don't know if it's true or not. That's like, but probably Dembele. I think I think you're probably right, but how, how, when was the last time that that wasn't a guarantee? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dembele probably only had the most touches because every time it could have been one touch, it was seven. That helped. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you cut back in three times every time you get the ball, you're going to... But no, like, you know, as a serious point, like... It was the first time in a long time where we've played well in a classical that wasn't because of Messi, in my opinion. And that, that often was because if we, if we had the chat where Messi left. Like, we don't need to go around the houses again. But everything went through him, as you've just said, so much that we just became predictable. Super whereas, predictable. Whereas tonight, when Pedri or Busquets got the ball, I didn't know where the ball was going. And I watched this team every week. So what on earth is Ancelotti, who watches us when he needs to, how would you pick that apart? And I think that that's the difference that we've got. And there's a lot of there's a lot of talk at the minute, obviously in in America about free agency and who's going to do what in the NFL and stuff like. That. And obviously, the, my my Packers, Devontae Adams has just gone to the Raiders. And I'm I've seen people say this comment right, and I absolutely agree with it. Which is, we're losing one of the best players in the league, but we weren't sharing the ball around enough, and we became predictable. That's where Barca got with Messi, and now we've just seen on the on the biggest stage we could have done it that that those those days are gone now. We now have a team. We're no longer relying on one player or one or two players to get us through these big games. We're now going to be a problem for teams. And going back to the very first question, am I a believer? You're damn right I am because we're now seeing a team that performs well. We're not relying on flashes of brilliance now. We are a unit. We're slick. We're dynamic. We've got a structure. We've got a belief. We've got a a modus operandi there is clearly you know you could write down the 10 commandments of what being a member of Xavi's team is it's not just give the ball to someone and hope for the best that's where Madrid were tonight give the ball to Vinicius and hope he beats Araujo which he didn't <laughs> which he didn't which yeah yeah, yeah. Didn't. yeah. So I have I have who scored up because they have the stats immediately Y Scout takes usually uh, 12 hours or so so okay. let me just let me just I'm just looking at this uh, while you were speaking it's one of the prettiest things mm-hmm. I've ever seen so the front three <laughs> the front three right you have Dembele two assists. Aubameyang, two goals, one assist. Torres, one goal, one assist. Okay. I mean, that is 
you know, picture perfect. You couldn't, yeah. I mean, that is pure balance and pure attacking consistency. And uh, who scored, you know, they are pretty lenient on this, on the rankings. The lowest ranked starting 11 players, Jordi Alba with 7.2. So that just kind of gives you the range. Obviously, Aubameyang had a 9.4. So that kind of gives you the fluctuation. But, but man, this... 9.4. Yeah, that's a great... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, two goals and assist. I mean, you can't ask anything more from another nine, right? That's a fair point. But really, just to piggyback from the Galatasaray match on Thursday night, in this match, you know, we saw two things, I think, that are just massive going forward. Number one, in Europa League, the urgency, right? Which I didn't think we had it the first time against Galatasaray, so I'm really excited about that. And obviously, just the balance. Like you said, the yeah. unpredictability. So now it makes it really difficult to scout uh, Barcelona going forward. And, you know, Barcelona has a great chance, obviously, now to to run the table in Europa League. I mean, they should be able to handle those teams, you know, especially the way they're playing right now. Unfortunately, there's a two-week break now, Craig. I mean, I, it's kind of, ah, I don't want this two-week break because I'm of the momentum. Sh- I know what you're saying. I, I think it's good, like, Clearly, coaching is working, and it gives us a chance to get coaching done. More coaching, yeah, one hundred percent. And here's here's a good question, actually, and it's kind of related to what you just said. I was, you know, you're you're now gutted that you can't watch us play, right? Which is, and and it kind of feeds into my question, which is going to be, do you now feel like you watch us because you want to again, as opposed to out of some kind of blind sense of loyalty? Because I was definitely, definitely getting to a stage at the start of the season where I was watching the games because I felt I should. Mm-hmm. And now that, it's like I'm watching them because I know it's going to be an hour. I don't know if we win, but it's going to be an hour and a half of me enjoying what I'm seeing again. For sure. I mean, especially at the beginning of the season, October, November, I was dreading watching Oof. the matches. I was just watching the matches either on replay, obviously, because for the podcast, you know, doing mm-hmm. the summary and doing those things. But now, like you said, like I was looking forward to tonight's match. And I can't remember the last I mean, obviously, it's a classic, so I want to take that away. But also, like you said, I'm excited. I'm genuinely excited to see who's going to be the starting eleven. How we're going to play, and also mm-hmm. the unpredictability of like what's going to happen. Is Ferran going to score? Or Aubameyang, you know, all these type of things. So, like to me, it's yeah, it's definitely brought in the new passion, and that's the thing is because of the unpredictability, right? That we are playing, you know, lights out going forward, actually trying to score goals. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I really wanted five tonight or six. I mean, I really, I really wanted, and they were going for it, you know, especially when Memphis came in at Adama, they were still trying to go for the goal. And I think that's, that's going to, you know, help for that. I have two last questions before we close it up, because obviously we're riding high and, you know, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about what's happening with, with Xavi uh, taking the helm and just all the changes. I mean, again, I just, man, it's just, just the coaching, you know, just, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy just to think in November we were like in 10th place, you know, and like struggling, struggling, yeah. you know, and now yeah. it's like a complete 180 and it's just crazy. Two questions from you. Okay. So the first one is from Mark, who recently just joined our WhatsApp group today after I badgered him. I said, Mark, get on WhatsApp, man. He's like, okay, I have to download the app. Okay. So he has a question about the future and he just says, what does Barca do next? for financial stability and the ability to thrive. So obviously this goes, you know, obviously, Craig, the hottest rumor here in Spain is obviously the Holland and Bappe debate. Uh, If we can't afford them, I don't want them because I don't want to go down this road again of trying to go for a $220 million player, you know, who doesn't deliver the goods. And I'm not saying they can't, but I just feel the team is stronger than one player, as we're seeing right now. I get more excited about, as we always talk about, La Masia promotion, finding right. jewels like Pedri 
and being financially feasible by while competing at this high level and trying to pluck a player here and there. I don't know. What do you think? Are you? I can I, I can kind of tell by your body language a little bit about the Holland thing. Like to me, I'm more excited if we signed a center back or a defensive midfielder right now because I think that's what we're lacking. Obviously, I know Holland and Mbappe are the sexiest things, but man, I I just you know I think we're in a right trajectory. I just don't want to go off the rails to try to find a 220 million euro player. You know, hundred percent. So I think. We're fooling ourselves if we think that Barca's financial problems are gone. We just have a shitload yeah, yeah, of yeah. credit we can use now, right? So those the problems aren't aren't Thanks, gone. But then, yeah, exactly. Cheers. And Goldman, Goldman Sachs, I just vomited in my mouth as I said that. But um, you know, the the, pro- the financial problems aren't finished. They're still there. We need to be careful. And what I would say about the Haaland and Mbappe thing is right. Maybe this is maybe slightly harsher on Haaland than it is on Mbappe, but I think it's a valid point. If you're going to put all of your eggs into either of those baskets. What's it based on? Haaland, Haaland, okay, he's not he's not at the best Dortmund side, but he's not collecting silverware like it's going out of fashion. He's given a team that plays for him 100%, and he's he's a good player. Does, does that? I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not disputing that, right? But you don't you don't sell your club down the river for him yet, by any means. Mbappe even more so. Mbappe is a team that would embarrass the riches of any man, right? I mean, minus the fact that they've got some absolute stinkers in there, but that's kind of where where, where this point's going. Mbappe should be winning trophies left, right and centre, and he's not really, let's be honest. Like, for the team they've got, the league they're playing, so why, why would you go all in on either player if you don't have the money when neither of them really is doing enough to justify it, in my opinion? If you're City... And we know it's because they tried to do it, right? And it's only loyalty that stopped it happening. Or you're Chelsea at your peak. And you've got a bazillion, trillion, gazillion pounds in the bank of dirty oil money. And Messi is winning trophies left, right and centre basically on his own. All right. <laughs> I can see it. You, you, you give him what he wants. Give him an island. Give him the GDP of a third world country if he wants it. Like, do what you need to do. Why do you do that for either of those two players? Neither of them are good enough to justify what we're going to do to our club long term. Just don't do it. We we almost got ourselves in that position with Messi, and he was homegrown. And look at the look at the disaster that's caused. Trying to chase players and, and chase success. Have an ideal, stick to it. I think it all comes down to what you, what you want out of your Barca. What does Barca mean to you? Barca means to me playing good football, ideally with players that we produce. But I'm not precious necessarily on that point. But play good football that's fun to watch that's attacking, that's about caring and loving the ball, playing tactically astute, ideally with homegrown players, and make the club matter to me. Do I care which name's on the back of the shirts? Not really. And I care even less about bankrupting the club again to do it. So that, that was, I mean, that's a long answer to a short question. Sorry about that, mate. I don't know what your opinion is, but that's my that's my two cents anyway. How about you? No, I'm, I'm on the same boat, especially what we've seen this past season, the return of investment, right, about what we did, you know, and, and that's the thing is, we spent so much money on Coutinho and Dembele, and it's really hard to ignore and not forget about that. You know, we spent two twenty on two players. You know, where we could have gotten five players. You know, for that price, six players. You know, that's that's how I kind of look at it. Even if Coutinho and Dembele would have been world beaters, I don't know, man. Like it's still you're you're you are leveraging so much of the future. And I know that Bartomeu was, you know, thinking that money was just going to keep coming in like nothing. But if anything, that should just teach us, especially with Laporta's first tenure, knowing how hard it was with money and so forth. And now 
coming out of this disaster. Just be financially sound, man. That's all I care about because if you're financially sound and our scouting is so good, like we're still being able to pluck La Masia. T- look, I mean, just look at our team right now, you know, with all the yeah. youngsters. We need to use that to our advantage. And I know Holland or Mbappe is going to sell a lot of tickets and a lot of jerseys, and that's the sexy thing that La Liga wants us to market and so forth. But I'm sorry, I, I I do not have faith in either, especially paying that amount of money for those players. You know, it's insanity. And, it's insanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and if you think about the big stage, you you'll have been there. I've certainly been there. And you know, maybe anyone listening that that isn't a regular um, visitor camp new might have might have done this. But if you're a tourist and you're in Barcelona for a weekend, and we've got some meaningless, we got Levante at home, right? You're probably going. Whether that's Mbappe up front, Haaland up front, Martin Brathway up front. If you're a tourist, you're going if you want to go. If you're a diehard Kool-Aid, you're going. So who's the market that isn't there? If it's about shirt sales, go and find that money elsewhere. Go and sell, put a sponsor on the shorts rather than bankrupt us for Haaland yeah. or Mbappe. I think I think it's this big, the big question to me is who who are we doing this for? If we're doing it for the future of the club, don't sign either of them for the money that's been touted. If you're doing it for trophies, I don't think either of them are a guarantee enough for the money it would be. If you're doing it for the fans, the fans who you need to keep on board forever don't want you to bankrupt the club and the fans that turn up when they're on holiday will go regardless. I don't see I don't see the compelling factor unless it's economically viable. And the numbers that I'm seeing make neither of them economically viable so either numbers change or i would i would let them go to madrid like that I'm yeah, yeah. i don't i've not, not seen enough from either of them that tells me that the long-term future of barca is entirely negative if one of them goes to madrid we've, we've no, had no. we've had better players than them too when we've won trophies around them yeah i mean i would totally agree uh, holland scares me more just because of his injuries but also just as we just laid out the whole plan you know i just i i think it's better to have balance and unpredictability with four you know, above average strikers that you're going to not bank your whole future on just one. You know, that's that's how I look at it, especially what we've seen uh, with players' injuries and also just the amount of money that it costs for Holland or Mbappe. Correct. Last question, and on a super positive note, we have this from Barca Mama, who's amazing in our WhatsApp group. Is this win going to finally silence the critics? I'll go first on this, and I say yes until after the break <laughs> <laughs> until the next loss um, <laughs> especially uh... here especially here in spain because it's so futile right tonight is going to be the biggest love fest for barcelona which it should be which is going to be mm-hmm. awesome but then it's going to be a, a breakdown in the next couple of days of what madrid didn't do as opposed to what barcelona did just because you know madrid is the league leaders and that's just how it's going to be tailored in that type of way also yeah. madrid are still in the champions league so they're quote unquote a more prominent of this team right but then again it's just going to when we come back from the break and if barcelona has a misstep or doesn't that's what's going to help you know i would say for right now for these next two weeks it definitely did silence the critics because you can't argue for nothing at the Bernabeu. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much what you've just said. But at the same time, what I would say is I'm not seeing a lot of criticism of, of the team under Xavi. I've seen a lot of criticism about the club. I think as long yeah. as, as long as you know, the way the club's ran, so as long as we keep coming up with these ridiculous Super League ideas and chasing Haaland and Mbappe for money we don't go, that we don't have, then I think the criticism will be there and we deserve it from a purely footballing perspective. 
I don't think it will silence, silence the critics because I don't. I haven't really seen much of that. I think the overwhelming feeling for Chavi and his team has been positive. What I think it will do is cement the fact that the football elements of this club are back, as Gerard Piquet tweeted about 35 seconds after leaving the pitch. <laughs> nice to see. Yeah, and so when they come back from break, uh, they got a tough match. Uh, luckily, it's going to be in the Camp Nou against Sevilla, and then they play mm. against Frankfurt Huge game. in the quarterfinal. I'm just really thankful that they're playing at Frankfurt uh, at an international airport because I was worried, you know, with the Europa League team, some of these teams don't have uh, quite the infrastructure with airports, you know. But it's going to be tough, you know, Thursday night, Sunday, Thursday night, Sunday, like this type of gauntlet as opposed to Wednesday or Tuesday. But again, I really think Barcelona have a really great chance of winning Europa League. I want to win Europa League. Like, don't, don't construe that. I want to win trophies. And just get that trophy. That's going to help this team go with confidence going forward with these youngsters. But more importantly, with Sevilla, if they can close the gap, I'm not saying they can catch Madrid. I mean, I'm not going to. It's still a long way to go. But hey, man, if we can jump, jump frog Sevilla going into you know a couple weeks going into second place, that's going to be huge because Sevilla are struggling lately. Uh, they are battling a lot of injuries. They just got knocked out of Europa League as, as so did Betis as well. So he, he's fi- a question. Go on. Final question. Yeah. In relative terms, assuming that we leapfrog Sevilla and we finish second, let's assume this season we finish second, even if it's nine points behind them. We finish second, we get Champions League football, we win the Europa League, and we've just beaten them 4-0 in one of the Classicals. Would you say, relatively, this would be one of the greatest seasons in Barca's history? Yes. All things considered? Yes. Me, yes. me too. Yes. How unthinkable yes. would that have been? Yeah. One, to, one 10 years ago, but also how unthinkable would that, would that have been the first weekend of the season? Correct. In, in September, it would have been unthinkable. And also, I'm looking at the standings. I didn't realize it was as close, but Sevilla's only three points ahead. Three so, points ahead them next. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So if, they can, if we can get the victory there, we're, we're in second. I, I, that's a great point, Greg, because considering what has happened <laughs> since August, right? To, to come up with these results and if they win Europa League, second place, they just beat the Madrid at home 4 nothing. And the and the trajectory that we're on, it's really Incredible. hard to argue. It's a great season. Incredible, yeah, 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 yeah. it's crazy. But again, uh, I hate to beat this dead horse. I just wanted Javi at the beginning of the season. But anyway, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it again. I'm, I'm, that's the last time I'm gonna say it. I just, I'm just over the moon about how important coaching really is at this level. It doesn't take much. I just really quick, just to finish this off. You know, when I, I'm a Warriors fan, just to see the coaching of what you can do to players to get that extra ten percent makes the whole team better. And that's what this team was lacking so much for the last couple of seasons under different coaches that we've had. And Xavi, just like you said, having the Ten Commandments, better training. And this is just the result and the culmination of all this. And it's really exciting because, man, it is so great to be Real Madrid. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Correct. I love it so much, especially being here <laughs> in Madrid. I'm going to watch Chiringuito tonight out of pleasure and hate for all those Madrid journalists because now they have you know it's one thing if Barcelona won one nothing on a corner kick goal right like that would be the, you know it would be like okay yeah they won they were without Benzema that would be the narrative but for nothing in a paliza like the way they Wild. played I mean that is just oh, I'm gonna sleep well tonight so uh, Craig thanks for joining me as always we'll talk pleasure soon as always. have a good week you too
Social Podcast Network.